Have you daydreamed about investing in real estate for your retirement? It's a complicated and sometimes risky business, but today's guest, Mark Ferguson, gives us some red and some green lights for investing in real estate that just might blow your mind. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Hello there, family. It's Danielle and Justin. This is episode 102. 102. And we're just beyond words. Oh my gosh. Thousands of people in more than 30 countries are listening to this show every month. So humbling and such a privilege. boggling. I know. I know. 30 countries? Over 30. Yeah, that's awesome. Yes. And every week, our goal is just to serve you to share stories and wisdom from our guests to help you build a stronger, more intimate, more connected marriage and family. And that's what we're about every single week. So if you've enjoyed the show, if you've found value in these conversations, please do two things. One, share the show with your friends and your family. Tell them, show them, send it to them uh, any way you can. And number two is open up that podcast app on your phone and subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Those reviews help the show grow and serve more couples who are struggling and looking for hope and encouragement and community. And the fact is, we are just getting started. Our vision is that to have more than a million couples inspired and challenged by the podcast every month and to host life-changing marriage intensives led by incredible facilitating couples happening every week of the year, every year, going for the next hundred years. We want to give couples the hope, the help, and the tools to build truly legendary marriages. I feel like we need to do like a dance and an amen after that, honey. Okay. Woo! I'll fan you off. I'm like blowing out <laughs> people's eardrums with your hooting and hollering. All right. So if you're not involved in our community on Facebook, it's time to join the family. It's a group for men and women who are sick and tired of settling for ordinary because they just know that ordinary marriages don't survive, let alone thrive. Yes. We talk about everything in the group. So wherever you're at, you have a family that cares and stands by you, stands with you, and will support and encourage you every step of the way. Finally, the Legendary Marriage website is a great place to find resources and information about our intensives and our coaching offerings. So check it out at legendarymarriage.com. Okay, so this week I've had the privilege of talking with Mr. Mark Ferguson. He's on the show today. So he is a real estate agent, investor, and author and creator of the Invest For More blog. Um, we've never had a real estate agent on the show. No. No. Well, we, we've had we've had people who are real estate agents, but we haven't had people talk about real estate. Oh my gosh. So he knows what he's doing. Um, he has a real estate team that sold hundreds of homes every year, flipped over 150 houses. He's a flipper, honey. <laughs> No, that's Flipper the Dolphin. <laughs> he owns 14 rental properties, written five books. And we'll include all the links in the show notes for sure. And um, his purpose is just to help as many people as possible become financially free through 
real estate. Mark created Invest for More in March of 2013 to show people how to invest in rental properties. And the blog blew up. It became so popular so quickly. And now Mark has been featured on the Huffington Post, on Zillow, Forbes, Money Magazine, the Washington Post, and more. Oh my gosh, he's a pretty big deal. So let's welcome to the show, Mr. Mark Ferguson. So we are so happy to have Mark Ferguson on the show today. This is the first guest that we've ever had on the show to talk about real estate. And it's something as couples, we all kind of go back and forth about everyone wants the American dream, the house, the picket fence, the all that. But I'm not sure a lot of us know the exact ins and outs of it and how to get there. So he's out of Greeley, Colorado. He and his wife, Jenny, have been married for 10 years years and they just celebrated heading out to California to celebrate whoop it up for 10 years. All right. I love that idea. And he um, created the invest for more blog in 2013. And he just shows people how to really invest in not only a home, but also rental properties. Welcome to the show, Mark Ferguson. We're glad to have you. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be on the show and excited to, to talk with you here. First of all, because it's a legendary marriage podcast, I want to know how did you and your wife meet? That's funny. Um, I actually knew my wife a little bit in junior high. So we went to no. the same schools and she was a year older than me, but we weren't really friends or anything. And then she ended up going to a different high school and we lost touch. And probably what, 10 years later, she was a real estate agent. I was a real estate agent but we didn't meet as agents. We met on MySpace. So she actually was, what? I know she was, you had all these like crossing paths, uh-huh. but you never crossed. Yeah. And so she messaged me on MySpace one day while she's at an open house and thought I looked interesting. And so I was an, an agent in her same town and she didn't even know that we'd gone to school together or anything. So, and then we started talking on MySpace and ended up meeting and yep. 10 years later, well, actually 12 Isn't years later now. Funny how <laughs> that kind of stuff happens. Justin and I realized at some point that when we were about to go into kindergarten, when we were like preschool age, we lived like two streets away from each other when we were like little, little kids. Um, but who knows, we might've played with each other on the street or something like that, but we couldn't remember just because we were so little. And then in high school, He told me how he remembered um, coming to, he would always come to all the volleyball matches for his school and he would watch me play, but I never knew that he was like in the stands. So isn't it funny how, you know, you're like, okay, our lives have been lining up this whole time. No, that is crazy. It's funny because my wife likes to joke that I had a a crush on her in junior high and knew who she was, but she had no idea who I was. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll go with that story. We'll go with that story. So you two were both into real estate when you like officially met. Now, is your wife still doing real estate to this day? Um, she helps a little bit, but we had, um, twins in 2011. So at that point she became a stay at home mom and put her license on hold. So she helps a little bit, but mostly she's taking care of the kids and and staying at home. Okay. So how did you guys navigate like your first, tell me about your like first real estate, like your first house or your first rental property that you bought? Like, how did you get into it? Um, I grew up in a real estate family. So my 
dad got his real estate license in 1978, like right before I was born. And so I grew up sleeping under his desk in the office while he was working and I was just surrounded by it. And as I got into high school, I pretty much decided I want absolutely nothing to do with real estate. I wanted to do something sure, else. because your dad did it. Yeah. And, and so I went to college at the University of Colorado in Boulder, got a finance degree, graduated, couldn't find that amazing, perfect job. And so I thought, I'll just work part-time for my dad till I figure my life out. And yeah. eventually I'm like, hey, this is kind of neat. I've got my own schedule. I'm making decent money. So I got my real estate license and really started out as an agent. And he would flip houses once in a while too. So I helped him with the house flipping side. And then now I, was that was flipping popular back then? I feel like it's kind of like come into like the normal vocabulary in like the last 10 or 15 years. Like, has it always been a thing? No, I mean, that was 2002 and he'd been doing it before that. And very few people flipped at that time. You know, I think some people knew about it, but there were maybe four or five investors in our, you know, 100,000 person town, whoever flipped a house at all. So it was was much easier back then, actually. And now it's definitely become more popular with the shows and just all the real estate investing sites out there. It's it's definitely a lot tougher to flip now. And, um, but there's always challenges and we've been able to do it since then through the market crash after the upturn. I still do do flip now. now. Do you flip houses? We did 26 flips last year. Whoa, Mark, (laughs) where's your show? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay, so what is, like, for the normal person, like the normal couple, would you advise a flipping situation? That is a really hard question to answer, but um, I think it can be a good situation if if you go about it the right way. Whenever I buy a house, if I buy a rental property, a flip, even my own personal house, uh-huh. I want to buy a really good deal. Like I don't want to just, you know, find something that I love and pay full market price. I'm always looking to get a really good deal. And normal couples, you know, people who are just buying a house to live in, you know, they could do that as well. It's not limited to real estate investors to get a really good deal. And in fact, a lot of sites like HUD, um, Fannie Mae foreclosures are geared towards owner-occupant buyers. They give them priority. Uh-huh. So you can buy a house get a really good deal on it, live there for two years, sell it and take the profit tax free. And I think a lot of people don't realize how amazing that can be for someone just starting out and getting, you know, their first house in life. Okay. So what about, like, I always think the starry eyed young couple, like looking to get their first house and wanting to have like that homey feeling like the vibe like it just feels like home like should we consider that when we look for a house ideally no (laughs) you know in a perfect world you shouldn't let your emotions get a hold of when you're buying a house it's really Uh hard to do most people do I mean it's amazing because we fix up so many houses and if you don't pick the right paint if you don't make the house feel right you know people's subconscious minds tell them oh this isn't a nice house we don't like this house even though it could be really easy to make some changes and make it the perfect house. And as a couple buying their first house, looking at something, you really have to look at it logically if you can and be like, Hey, we can buy that perfect house with the white picket fence for $150,000 or 
$400,000, wherever, yeah. whatever market you're in. Sure. Um, yeah. Totally or, different. No matter where you're at. Yeah. Or we can buy the house down the street that maybe the yard's dead. It needs a little paint for $110,000 and it doesn't feel like home, but we can put some money into it, some sweat equity and we're 20,000 or $30,000 ahead of buying that perfect house by, you know, sacrificing a little bit and getting the house that needs a little bit of work. So how did you and your wife buy your first home together? So when we first met, um, we were both, you know, in our late twenties, mid twenties, I owned a house. So I'd bought a house four or five years before that, my first house. And she owned a house too. She'd bought her first house a few years before that. And that was right kind of in the beginning of the housing crash. And so um, she actually lost her house, which well, she did a short sale, so she didn't lose it, but it was, um, just huge negative equity in it. And she ended up doing a short sale and she moved in with me after that, we bought our first house together about two years later. And that was a foreclosure. So it was actually a house we bought from the foreclosure sale where you go to the public trustee, which is like a courthouse bid on the house. You have to come up with cash the next day. You have no title insurance. Um, and it was pretty stressful. And we ended up borrowing money from my sister, from her father, from my parents and pooled it all together to buy this house. And then a few months later, refinanced it and paid everybody back. So you have to pay the full amount right there. You, the sale is at 10 a.m. on a Wednesday. And by 12 p.m., you have to bring a cashier's check for the full amount. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about stressful. And did your wife have any um, reservation because she had had to do a short sale previously? Like, was there a lot of nerves and anxious? Like, should we really do something like this again? Was there any of that coming into it? Um, I think there was in the very beginning, but as we worked through the process of just, you know, figuring out what a good deal was, you know, getting our first house together, a lot of that disappeared. And I think she is really excited about it. I was really excited about it. I mean, we, we looked for a few other houses first. This wasn't the first one. And a couple other ones hadn't worked out. We randomly found this house looking at another house that had a dead yard and, you know, looked really not, that wasn't really bad. It was only 10 years old, but, um, and we looked it up and found out it was going to the foreclosure sale in like a month. We're like, Oh wow, this is really cool. And it just worked out perfect yeah. finding that house and being prepared for it really helps you alleviate all that stress and doubt. What do you mean being prepared for it? Um, I think just knowing one, your finances, so speaking of couples coming into buying a house, I think a lot of people go to a lender and that lender says, you can qualify for $200,000. And they think, okay, we should just go buy a $200,000 house. Right. But they don't look at, well, can we actually afford that? You know, what are our other expenses? How much money can we save? And I think you really, you need to be in control of your finances and buying the most expensive house you can afford is usually not the best way to start out. You know, yes, you can qualify for 200,000, but you're probably much better off paying 150 or whatever you can in your market. And that's something to look at. Just once you buy a house, can you save money? You know, is there extra money? Is it all going towards your house? Because that's usually not the best way to start out. Yeah. So like from um, like just the conception of like, Hey, why don't we buy a house? How do you know if you should, if it's time to buy a house or should you rent like an apartment or, um, you know, live with friends or like, how do you know what the timing is on whether you should rent or buy or 
move back into your parents' basement or, you know, whatever is wise for you as a new couple? That's a really good question. And I think that answer is different for every single person, you know, sure. one thing, do you have somewhere you can live for free? If you don't, then that's, that's out. But, um, no, I think living, you know, with your parents, if you can for a while to save money is a great option. Figuring out, you know, the first year or two when you're together, f- making sure everything's going to be okay and you're comfortable with what each other likes, you know, is a good thing to do. And then when to buy it, a lot of it, I think is just when you're prepared, when you, you really need to learn your market and how to buy a house. You shouldn't just trust blindly your lender and your real estate agent. And once you've learned kind of your market and how to buy and the best way to buy, you know, I think most any time is a good time to really jump in there and do it. So you would suggest maybe renting for a little while until you kind of figure out your market and then start to look to buy. Yes. I think that's a good idea. And then, you know, saving money is a good idea too, but there's so many good loans out there for owner occupants where you can put 5%, 3% down, sometimes even less. If you happen to be a veteran or a military, VA loans have zero down payments. So it's, it's pretty amazing some of the options out there. And if you're making sure you're getting a good deal when you buy, you're not stretching yourself too thin, a house is usually a really good investment. Mm. A house is usually a really good investment. So if people can raise the money and they're cool with it, you would always advise buying over renting? I think so. There's a really a, a big growing trend in the country about how a house is not an asset, how renting's better. And I just completely disagree. Yeah, with t- yeah. Tell us about that. Tell us about that. What are kind of the two sides to that? I think the one side for why renting's better is that a house is more expensive than people think, which can be true because you have your mortgage payment. You have to pay utilities on top of that, you know, property insurance, property taxes you have to pay. Mm-hmm. And there might be some repairs, you know, when you own the house, a furnace might go out, you might have to replace a roof at some point. There are things that happen. And There's some unknowns. People, yes, exactly. And, and some people say, well, renting's cheaper because the landlord will pay for those things. But in the end, the landlord is making money on the property in most cases and is going to have higher rent to make up for those maintenance items and different, you know, the property taxes. You still need renter's insurance. Um, so usually in most markets, renting is more expensive than buying. Not every market. Uh, the more expensive the houses, usually the less advantageous it is to buy versus rent. Mm-hmm. But um, at the same time, if you're getting a really good deal on a house, you know, you could build 20000 or $30,000 in equity as soon as you sign the paperwork. And obviously you can't do that when you're renting, but a lot of people don't mention that side of it on the rent versus buy argument. And then the fact that you know, if you make $20,000 and sell the house, it's tax-free if you've lived there for two years in most cases. And most people forget to mention that part about the renting versus buying. And another thing to think about is, you know, when you get a mortgage, it's usually locked in for 15 years, 30 years, and your payment won't change for that entire time. When you're renting, every year, the landlord could decide, oh, I'm going to raise rents this year. Or, oh, I want to sell the property. You're going to have to move out. Or, you know, there's it's much less risk when you buy than renting on that side as well. 
Now, when y'all bought your first house together, you said it was a foreclosure and you had to fix it up. Um, what was that like as a couple, like basically fixing up a foreclosure house together? You know, the house really wasn't that bad. We got lucky. Um, the yard looked really bad. The outside looked, you know, kind of bad. But the inside, like we didn't even change the carpet when we moved in. Oh, um, wow. That's yeah, it, yeah. When we cleaned it and it really wasn't in bad shape. Um, you know, we painted over the years, different rooms, different colors, but we didn't have to gut the kitchen. We didn't have to replace the bathrooms. You know, there wasn't a whole lot we had to do. We painted the outside we redid the yard and that was the big expenses up front. And then over the next couple of years, you know, we'd replace light fixtures here and there. We did a little bit of work uh-huh. in the basement, but it wasn't a huge remodel job. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize either is you can get a good deal without having to redo the entire house. Because, it's not like the foundation was crumbling underneath you or something. Right. Yes. And I highly suggest if you're buying a new house or a, you know, a house is a new couple or an existing couple, and you're not an expert on fixing houses, be very, very careful buying houses that need a lot of work because mm-hmm. you do run. I mean, even myself run into situations where, you know, you just don't know how much it's going to cost, how long it's going to take, or what kind of worms you're opening up when you get into a really big remodel job. Yeah, that's interesting. You said you flipped 26 houses last year. Have you ever gotten into a situation where you, it was so unexpected that you're like, uh, what am I even like, why did I even do this? Oh yes. There's been a few so <laughs> when you do that many. Okay. Uh, tell us, tell us the nitty gritty about it. Cause uh, we're always looking for the good, uh, juicy story about the flips. I love the flipping <laughs> idea. It's so cool. The, the worst one relates to everything we've been talking about. And that was right after my wife and I met, I decided I was going to make more money because I was going to do all the work myself on a flip. So I'm like, I'm going to paint it. I'm going to replace the kitchen. I'm going to do the bathrooms. And it was the worst six months of my life mm. <laughs> because one, I wasn't, a, I wasn't an expert. So I didn't do work as good as, you know, a contractor would have done it. It took me three times as long. And the opportunity cost was the biggest thing. You know, I wasn't selling houses as an agent. I wasn't finding new deals because I spent all my time working on this house and even being in the business for, you know, five years at that time, I still underestimated how long it would take, all the work it would take, and just how much frustration it would take as well. So I learned never to do that again. I think a lot of people go into, you know, buying a house and, you know, oh, we'll just fix it up on the weekends. And, you know, that can be a couple of years later if it's a big remodel job. Of fixing right. It did you end up losing money on it? I think I did on that one just a little bit because that was 2006. So not only was I working on the house all the time, but the real estate market was dropping as I was doing it. (laughs) You're you're racing the drop. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And like you said, it's like you're not doing your other work. So you're losing that time and the work isn't as good and, 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 and. Yep, exactly. So how'd that go down with Jenny? Was she pretty, uh, pretty No, we're pretty stressed that whole time. Like really, cause I wasn't happy. I was frustrated having to go there every day. And then she was frustrated cause I was frustrated and we were both very, very happy when that project was done. So. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Now when you guys bought your first house, are y'all still in that one or did you resell it and get a new one? Nope. We sold. So we bought that house for 
210,000 in 2008 and we sold it for 350,000 in 2013. Wow, that's a good deal. And like I said, so part of it was getting a really good deal from the beginning. Part of it was the market going up and that was all tax-free. So that's the really nice part. And then we took that money and kind of put it into our next house, which was kind of our dream home where we live now. And um, the same thing, that house has gone up in value. We got a really good deal on it. And it's just, it's amazing what real estate can do if you use it in the right way. Yeah. Now, when you buy a flip house or an investment house, do you ever think, oh man, we put so much work into this. This is so nice. Like we can move into this house. No, (laughs) no. No. Um, It's, there's been one or two like that where we're kind of like, oh, it's so nice. But then it's usually in a different town or, you know, it's just like, oh, it's just not worth moving. And moving is a hassle. Like I won't, it's a a pain. And so we've tried to avoid that unless something just absolutely amazing comes up. And really um, our investment properties are in the low end of the market. Um, Starter homes, we tend to do the best right there. So we'd be kind of downgrading a little bit if we were to move into most of them. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. But first I want to talk to you about the Legendary Marriage Intensive. The next intensive is scheduled for February 14th through the 17th, 2019, and the waitlist is now open for interested couples. This adventure coaching intensive is designed to help you redefine the trajectory of your marriage and your family forever. This isn't a weekend of passive listening. It's a highly engaging, interactive, fun, and intensive experience that will help you break through the stuck places in your relationship reconnect on a deeper level, restore the broken hurting places, and renew the romance, intimacy, and adventure that brought you together in the first place. Over the course of three days together, we will enjoy powerful conversations, an amazing outdoor adventure, delicious food, luxury accommodations, and transformational coaching. You'll leave with a full heart, a smile on your face, and staggering clarity, not only about how to love each other better, but how to build a legacy together. And you'll have a strategic plan that's proven and practical. Now, we only take six couples at a time on these retreats because we want to invest deeply in everyone there. Legendary Marriage Intensive is for couples who are ready to invest to take their marriage to the next level and transform their family forever. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to legendarymarriage.com slash intensive and join the wait list. That way we'll be able to send you some more information. It's time for more. It's time for an adventure. It's time for a getaway. It's time for Legendary Marriage Intensive. And now back to our conversation. Okay, so tell me about investment properties. So let's assume that, you know, a couple has... They already have their own home. They're happy. They're living in their house. They're not looking to move or anything. Tell us about how do regular couples that aren't, you know, both real estate agents and, you know, things like that. Like, how would we even think about having an investment property? It's a a big process. It's not easy. I won't lie to you about that because I think I have to estimate less than 5% of people who really want to invest in real estate actually end up doing it. And Mm. there are some roadblocks to it. Like, you know, I said about owner-occupant loans being 5% or 3% down. 
for investors, it's usually 20% down. So you've got to have a lot more money to wow. come into it. Yeah. And, and there's ways to buy with less money down. But when I bought my first rental, it was 2010. And we had lived in our house for a little bit. And what I ended up doing is we refinanced it, took some cash out of our personal house. And I used that to buy my first rental. My wife was actually pregnant at that time when I bought my first rental. So that was- With your twins. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, um, but I knew I was getting a really good deal. I knew the rent would cover the mortgage, all the expenses and leave me a few hundred dollars a month in profit. And so I was okay with it. She was okay with it when I explained the situation and how all of it would work. So it wasn't like we had all this money to invest and just buy these houses for cash. You know, we got a 20% down loan. We used the money mostly from our refinance of our personal house to pay for it. And then, you know, I started doing better as an agent, but, um, slowly bought one my first year. I think the second year I didn't buy two more properties and the third year I bought four. And part of the way we did it too was because we were getting really good deals on these rentals after a year or so we could refinance that rental property and kind of take all the money back out of it that we spent buying it and use that to buy another rental property. Ah. And so you kind of repeat the process of, you know, buying them, getting them rented then refinance it take your money out and buy another one. So it's definitely not easy. Um, there's a lot of things to consider. A lot of markets don't have good rental properties because they're too expensive, which I've run into in Colorado where most of my rentals I bought around a hundred thousand dollars. And now those are worth 250 to 300,000. So <laughs> that's a good problem to have with the properties I own, but it makes it really hard to buy new good rental properties. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Are there different criteria for like buying your own home versus buying a, an investment or a rental property? Yes, for sure. So, you know, I think when you're buying your own home, you want to try and get a good deal, but you're not really concerned about what it's going to rent for. And one of the main things you're looking at when you buy a rental property is how much the rent's going to be, you know, versus your mortgage versus your expenses. And when I was buying my rental properties, you know, there were houses for sale for $120,000 that may rent for $900 a month. Or there are houses for sale for $120,000 It might rent for $1,300 a month. You know, it varied greatly depending on the neighborhood, how many bedrooms they had, and different factors. So when you're buying a personal house to live in, I think it is important to buy a house you really like and, you know, can see yourself in, even if it needs some work. Yeah. But a rental is all about the numbers, you know, um, making sure the rent-to-value ratio is good, you're getting a good deal. I think you want to make sure the economy is decent. Um, just much more analytical purchase and you really have to be careful with the numbers. Now I'm just wondering, I know, um, I have some friends that we've kind of, you know, oh, should we have an investment property or not? And then the thought comes up, uh, like, how are you going to take care of this? Like, do you have to be a landlord? Are you going to have to like get up in the middle of the night and fix some plumbing issue, you know, cause you're the landlord. Like how do you handle that with so many investment properties? Oh, that's a great question. And when I bought my first ones up until I had seven, it was my wife and I managing them. I like to say I managed them, but it was more her doing okay. the actual work. Yes, um, yes. So she would take calls. Um, she would, you know, we wouldn't do the physical work, but we'd call the plumber, we'd call the contractor to go do work or the heating guy. Um, I would find tenants, we'd collect rent, we did all of that. And it worked out okay. 
But after we got to seven, she just pretty much told me, you're getting a property manager. You're not buying any more houses. So <laughs> yeah, um, we got a property manager. And once I did that, I just wished I would have done that from the first one because mm. the property manager was better at finding tenants. They were more strict about late fees and rent. And I think I made more money with the property manager even after paying them than I did on my own because they were better at managing the properties and finding tenants and making sure everything was going well. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm wondering your little twins, do they hide under your desk and think I'm going to be a real estate agent someday? Oh, not as much as I did because when I was growing up, my mom and dad kind of worked a little bit together too. Mm -hmm. So they were both in the office a lot. And so I had no other choice but to go into the office. So they don't come into the office as much since, you know, mom's staying at home, but they do come in. They, um, reckon thought when I, that's my son, when I first saw about flipping houses, that meant that, you know, you physically took a house and flipped it onto its roof. So that oh, was sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. It's like, how does that work? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be good for the house. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but no, we, I try to talk to them about money and, and investing a little bit and they're pretty young still. So don't push it too hard on them. But, um, he, he wants to be a race car driver right now and, sure. and she, um, wants to be a princess or a pony rider, but, um, yeah. we'll see how that progresses. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, like, do you start at a certain age, like taking them out to the properties and like showing them the work that you have to do and, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, no, we, um, you know, it's not all the time, but quite a bit, we'll take them to different houses, you know, on the weekend, maybe there's a house I have to look at. I try not to work too much on the weekends, but once in a while, and yeah. we'll show them, hey, you know, this is a house that needs some work. Or we showed them one of the houses we bought, which was kind of a hoarder house. It was full of junk. Oh, and, no. you know, after we did that, they're like, we don't ever want to go to another house again. <laughs> Why, <did you> <laughs> <laughs> Why are you torturing yeah. us? I thought you loved us. I know. The, the next three times we went to see a house after that, they're like, no, we don't want to go. We don't want to go look at a house. But Please say it's a different one. Yes, exactly. Okay, so I know you had shared um, sometimes there is like a worst case scenario of what can go wrong when you're trying to buy a house. What are the, some of those worst case scenario kind of things that we don't want to find ourselves in? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question because I think going back to the rent versus buy scenario, a lot of the people who advocate renting say, oh, look at the housing crash we had and people lost millions of dollars. They lost their homes. They went bankrupt and they use that as a reason to rent versus buy as well. But a lot of, you know, through that crash, I was actually an agent who sold foreclosures too. So I listed houses for the bank and HUD and worked with a lot of people who went through foreclosures and those problems. And obviously it wasn't a good situation for a lot of people, but it's not nearly as bad as some people may think it is. Because the process works when you, let's say worst case scenario, you know, housing prices drop, you lose your job, you can't make payments, the house goes into foreclosure. Well, you don't have to leave as soon as the foreclosure happens. You have possession and own your house until the entire foreclosure process is complete. And that could take from, you know, three or four months in some states like Texas, where it's really quick, or three years in places like Florida or New York or New Jersey or longer. Wow. And so you basically have free rent. If you stay in the home that entire time, the house is going through foreclosure. 
Yeah. Obviously, it's not good for your credit. It's not, you know, you can't can sleep you. at night, but you know, right. But you've, you know, if you want to get back on your feet in a really bad situation, free rent is one way to really, you know, help you out in a situation like that. And they That's a good point. Just don't live in Texas, apparently. Right. And you, you, you know, you can live there until the foreclosure process is over. And then once the foreclosure happens, so the foreclosure is when the bank goes through the courts or the trustee, whatever it is to actually, you know, take possession of the house. They now own the house. Well, if you're still living there again, they can't just come kick you out and say, Hey, you have to leave tomorrow Mm -hmm. Go through an eviction process or cash for keys. And so what almost every bank does is they don't want to evict people. They want them to leave nicely. They'll offer people money to leave the house. So they'll offer you $1,000 to $5,000. I saw them offer someone $10,000 to move out in 30 days. And what? Yes. So, <laughs> um, of their foreclosed house? Yes. Yep. You, you, they foreclosed. You don't own the house. You're just still living there. The bank will come offer you money to move out so they don't have to evict you. So you get free rent for a couple of years and then you get offered $10,000 to move out of your house. Yeah. And $10,000 rare. You know, that's, that's at the very high end for it. Wow. You were like blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I never thought that. Yeah. So, I mean, Looking at the very worst case scenario, obviously it's horrible to go through a foreclosure. You never want that to happen to yourself. But if you lose your job, you have no money. It's really not the worst thing in the world to have free rent and get paid to move out once the whole process is over. Mm. And something else to look at too, which I think a lot of people uh, mischaracterize is they say, oh, housing prices were you know $250,000 at the peak. And then there are $150,000 at the very bottom. Well, most people aren't going to be buying at the exact peak and selling at the exact bottom. You're going to be somewhere on the top or lower. So, you know, there's a lot of things to look at. And if you are buying a house that you can afford, you know, you don't lose your job, you make your payments. If housing prices go down, you can keep living there, keep making your payments. And most likely they're eventually going to go back up again, which we saw in this last crash as well. Right. Right. It's going to, it's going to recover at some point. So have you ever worked with people who, you know, kind of go through a worst case scenario when they bought their house, maybe the inspections are wrong or like, what, what are some of those stories that where you've been the real estate agent holding their hand and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Luckily we haven't had too many scenarios like that where we've worked with people Usually you see that where people kind of take shortcuts, you know, they try and buy a house for sale by owner. They don't get an inspection done. You know, it's like, Oh, is this a good deal? I'm going to save money without using an agent. And, but then turns out, you know, maybe this seller was selling the house because they didn't want an agent, you know, to help someone figure out what was wrong with it or what's going on. But Mm. that still can happen. Um, Just some tips, you know, some of the most costly and expensive things can go wrong in a house are the foundation. So, um, you know, shifting soil and water damage is one of the biggest dangers to homes. And even a house that has a good foundation is in a dry area, can have cracks, moving soil. If you've got no gutters on your house, or if you've got a negative grade coming into the house, which means like, you know, the water is running into the foundation instead of away from it. Right. So um, we see that a lot with different foundations that have huge cracks, need repairs, um, just because water was running into the house instead of away from it. So 
one of the best things you can do is get an inspector before you buy a house, have them check out everything, make sure there are no big major problems like that before you buy. What are some things that, you know, obviously a lot of people have watched these shows where, you know, they're slippers or whatever. What are some of those scenarios that normal buyers would get scared if they saw something, but it's really not that big a deal. Like you could get a good, you could get a good deal if you saw may cracks in the wall or, you know, a bad roof or whatever. What are some of those things that would scare people, but they're really not that bad? No, there's a lot of that. So um, when we buy houses, when I, we help other people buy houses for one, roofs are easy to fix. I mean, they, they really aren't that bad. They're expensive, but they're pretty simple. So you, you usually know what you're going to get. A roofer can give you a bid in a day or two. And on a, you know, thousand square foot home is probably around $5,000 to replace an entire roof. So it's, it's usually not a big deal unless it's a really old house and it has decking issues or actual support issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so roofs are very, you know, typical in Colorado to be replaced because we have a ton of hail here. So mm. we had three hailstorms come through our town this year. Oh my Roofs in different parts of town. So three separate instances of that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Definitely yeah. keep your insurance up to date. Yes. Um, electrical issues can be very scary or very minor. So, you know, um, a house might need to be completely rewired, which could be $10,000 if it's a big expense, or it could just need grounded or some GFCIs put in, which could be a couple hundred dollars. So there's just a lot of different ranges that could happen. The same with plumbing. You might need a house that could be need completely replumbed for, you know, $5,000, or it might just need a few fixes, which could be a couple hundred dollars. And that's just where you really have to have an inspector help you out. Hopefully your agent can help you out to realize what's major versus what's minor. And I think something else too, is when you get that inspection report and it says there might be electrical problems, you know, have an electrician go check them out to see how bad it is. Because Mm. the inspector can tell you if he thinks there's a problem, but he's not the one who knows how to, you know, how serious it is, what the replacement cost could be, all of that. Right. You know, I was thinking when you said replumb a house or something like that, would you ever advise like a certain year, like don't buy a house that's older than this year, this certain year? When I was buying rental properties, I wanted to buy everything kind of newer than 1970, maybe in the 60s. But even then, you might be replumbing a house doing electrical work. But when you get older than that, you know, a lot depends on if the house has been updated or not. Because you could have a 1900 house with new wiring and plumbing and everything. Right. It might be in decent shape. But if they haven't been updated, you're just asking for trouble in those old houses. And I wouldn't say don't ever buy them. Just be ready for some big expenses if you do buy them. So you're not shocked when it turns out, oh, you're, you know, your plumbing's all galvanized and your pipes mm-hmm. got clogged up and don't work anymore. So you just really have to be prepared in the old houses for some big expenses. And I'm thinking that's probably more of an issue in certain areas than others. Like, you know, up in New England, where a lot of those houses, there are some really old houses that have been here since like the, you know, 1800s or something like that where in Austin, Texas, an old house is like from the 1980s. Like, <laughs> like there's no real old homes in Austin, Texas, because 
there were a few ranches and that was about it. And um, pretty much all the houses have gone up since the nineties practically. So I don't know, it probably just depends on where you live. Yep, for sure. And, and you know, there's a lot of people who say, Oh, they don't build houses like they used to. And they used to be built so much better. I've bought a a few houses from the 1800, the late 1800s in Colorado. And I can tell you most of them, that saying is not true. I've seen some very wonky construction and they didn't have codes back then. They didn't have people, you know, looking over the building process. So sure, some houses were built better, but a lot of them were built really horribly. So don't, don't use that adage to buy a house. Yeah, they're put together. They only had a few nails, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> use them sparingly. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, it's been so good to have you on the show. I want to know, like, so how can our listeners find you? I know you have some some freebies, some tips on some real estate things that our listeners could kind of tune into to find a little bit more about what you're talking about. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So like you said earlier, uh, my blog, investformore.com. Oh, I know you want to talk about that. Name. Oh, yeah. Why is it called invest for <laughs> like the number four more? Um, when I started the blog, I was buying rental properties. And a lot of banks will stop giving you mortgages once you have four loans in your name. So like Chase, Wells Fargo, the big banks say, we're not giving you any more loans. You already have four. So that was a play on words to figure out how to get more loans. There's local banks, there's other types of banks who will give you more than four mortgages. And so my blog started on just trying to get more than four rental properties and how to build your investment empire out. That's so interesting. Okay, I really like that. So that's your blog, invest for the number four more.com. And if you just go to the homepage, investformore.com, we've got a, a sign up for our free book, uh, Retire Rich with Real Estate, which just kind of goes over, it's over 50 pages long. Um, just the basics on real estate investing, how to get a good deal on a house, some financing information, a lot of great information on just being introduced into real estate investing. All right. I love it. Mark, thanks so much for being on the show. No, it's a great time. I appreciate it and had a lot of fun. Thank you. Honey, you're a big dreamer. You love to dream, dream about... Dream, dream, <laughs> You always, you always uh, say that I sing too much. Maybe you're the singer. It's infectious. It is infectious. You're infecting me. <laughs> but you always dream... My mother warned, warned me about you. Oh my gosh, please let's not go there right now about what your mother warned you about. I'm totally kidding. Um, so Justin and I are always dreaming about the ranch. Right now we live in suburbia. Yeah, and I love suburbia. I, I'm I honestly torn about it. I'm way torn about it because we have this vision of like, we're going to buy this land. And, and, but, and but, gonna... but we're not talking about like 400 acres or no. anything crazy oh, like that. Lordy, we're no. not talking about big, like, I just want a, a couple acres just to have some, some space. Yeah. And like have a barn and have an, have our offices, the legendary marriage offices on the second floor. That'd be amazing. Right be now to, we have to have. Be able to do some have, retreats and things. And, I don't even know if we can put a lawnmower shed on our property because of the HOA. So yeah. I don't think we'd be holding any retreats in our backyard. <laughs> no. Um, yes. So dreaming, I feel like that's a really significant part because this yes. is something I learned actually from... Shay Bynes, who was on the show last week, um, I had we had the opportunity to spend a little bit more time with her off air, um, and she was really just talking about dreaming 
with God about what are the next things and what are the next things and what are the next things. And sometimes I can get in that real pragmatic place where it's just like, just live in the now, get the stuff done that you need to get done now. And dreaming is just kind of a waste. Um, but she was making the point that that makes me so sad. I know it does, honey. This is a part where you and it's I are like, very like dreaming is part of my love language. I know. And, I know. and so like, I want to go and check out model homes. I want to like, mm. not because I'm obsessed with that, but just because it represents, it represents something about movement, one of my values and things like that. And I think it's just a waste of a Sunday. But uh, oh, my heart just died <laughs> a little when you said that. But Shay really did. <laughs> she she really spoke to my heart when she said, "Dream a little, so that way, when an opportunity presents itself, mm-hmm. you're ready to act because you've already like kind of conceived it in your mind." I think I think people don't realize, but I think dreaming is uh, dreaming like that is a way of prayer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a way of of aligning and sharing your ideas and your hopes and your dreams with God and with your spouse. Yeah, and Mark really got me thinking about how we could use real estate as like become a landlord or whatever to facilitate the big picture. Yeah. yeah, he really just kind of talked about using it as a tool. So that's really something I think you and I just need to have that conversation about. So here oh is the talk about it segment of the show. And now the talk about it segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. Okay, so here's the question. What <laughs> could it look like for us to save or make money with real estate? Mm. That could be a good question to choose. It it's on. a good dreamy question. It's a good dreamy question and a very good, like, let's crunch the numbers. Yeah. And like he talked about on the show, like, does it make sense to rent in this neighborhood or that neighborhood? Because the answer is not always yes. And it's not always no. You have to do your homework to figure out the yeses and the no's. So it'll be different for every couple. So that'll be interesting. All right. Next week on the show, we are welcoming Matt and Allison Owen, founders of OwenYourFuture.com, and they're going to share some of their story and their adventures, as well as a bit of their wisdom about finances. This couple, they've got it figured out. I mean, they've (laughs) essentially retired, and they aren't even 30 years old yet. I know. It's really crazy. Like, to talk to them, they're the type of people that, like, live this crazy adventure, but people on the outside are like, what are they doing? But it's amazing. Yeah. They've got it figured out. And on top of all that, now they're working together, helping other couples, other people be smarter and wiser about their money. I, I just, I love them so much. Mm-hmm. I love the conversation with them and they have a great message. And and I just think they're a great resource for, for our audience. So. All right. So don't miss that next week. So that's it for today's show. Yes, as always, we're talking about this and all the hot topics from the podcast and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 102. Lastly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Join the family. Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you. Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.